0: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippi, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. Lots to talk about this week on the campaign trail, which is why we're excited to welcome veteran political reporter Dave Weigel to the show. Dave's at The Washington Post covering campaigns and politics and his rundowns of what's going on on the trailer. The trailer are a must-read. I, I, I read that every chance I get. Uh, Dave, welcome. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, it's... Good to be here. Thank you. It's always good to talk to you. I am mostly <laughs> yeah. on the other end uh, asking you things. So happy to happy to pay it back <laughs> and, and talk on the show.
0: Yeah. Well, no, but you you know, I mean, seriously, uh, following you and your rundowns on what's happening, um, I I literally stay on top of a lot of what's going on out there by reading you. And I urge uh, folks who listen to the show to uh, to try to track that down. Uh, we'll have it.
2: Uh, links to the in, in our show notes but alex where do you where do you want to start today <laughs> Guys, I think we got to start in Texas. Um, We'll get to stuff like BBB a little bit later, the latest on redistricting. But um, Beto's making the news again. Obviously, he's finally announced his campaign after what seems like months. I I wanted both your takes on on his launch, um, what he's been saying so far. Obviously, he's making a splash because he's leaning right back into guns. And I I wanted to know if you guys think he has an actual shot to victory. So, Dave, start with you.
1: Yeah, I I think my... My view is pretty close to conventional wisdom here, which is that uh, now I, I talked to Beto the day he launched his Senate campaign. I had covered him a little bit in Congress. I thought he was underrated and then um, would seem to be overrated in 2018, uh, but but it seriously did put up a, a good fight in the Senate race. I Where I agree with the CW is that he ran for president and took positions that never came up in the Senate race. What Cruz did, and Cruz had a lot of advantages of beating him, Cruz highlighted a couple of positions He'd taken votes he'd taken in the House, characterized him as, as anti-gas, anti-gas industry, or, or should I should say energy industry. He, he had a few things to hit him on, but not that many. Rourke had actually had a, a sort of, for a safe seat Democrat, idiosyncratic record in the House. Then he ran for president. He's on record for gun confiscation. Uh, he's on record for air 15 being illegal. He's, and I'm, I'm not trying to stereotype Texas voters to say they all, every one of them disagrees with that. Uh, he just took positions that Democrats usually don't if they're about to run for for governor. And this is something people in Texas have been fretting about if if they're if they're nervous, which Democrats often are. The, the you know, Julian Castro and Bitter work. The pe- people who, who I think Castro for a longer time were, were recently seen as really galvanizing potential statewide candidates took very liberal positions in these campaigns. I mean, it, there's a very crude ad, um, not crude but offensive, you know, Pope Paul Gosar tweet. But crude in the sense that it didn't look it, 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 a bunch of effort went into it. The Greg Abbott's campaign put out, just repeating all the things that work R- R- had said. And I'd forgotten that he was for dismantling the border wall. Now, is that popular in Texas? It doesn't seem in the last few elections it it, it was. And he didn't have any more nuanced position before he ran. So I start off saying, all right, let's see where he goes with this. But uh, he gave he gave people a lot of rope to hang him with.
0: You know, I mean, I look at it. uh a little different. First of all, I don't disagree with all, with, with much of that. Uh, I do think mm-hmm. though that um, Abbott has. It's going to be really interesting because I think Abbott yeah. has also done a whole lot of damage to himself in the last uh, last year during COVID and all this. Um, and you know, there there is polling. I think that you know that has shown that some of this stuff on on guns isn't quite as bad as we might think in Texas. I mean, uh, you know, on some of the some of the issues. Um you know it it's not great but you you know like 49% according to the University of Texas both 49% approve of, of buybacks of assault weapons only 29 disapprove of it there i mean there it, it it's you know 55% of voters uh disapproved of a new Texas per, permitless carry law that allows Texans to carry handguns with, with without a training license things like that right. that make you think I mean, one, I think it's better for Beto, Beto to, to, to lean into it. It's going to be there. You know, I mean, that's coming. But I do agree it's going to be an interesting fight between the mistakes maybe or, or the, the issues that, that uh, are problematic for Beto versus the issues that are going to be problematic. The, the abortion ban, uh, things like that, that I'm not sure, at least in stuff I've seen in a lot of the South, a lot of Republican women are, even when they're, they're they take the pro-life position, are not sure that they get really kind of co- conflicted when they when they hear about you know basically a complete ban. They don't. That's not something they want. So it'd be interesting to see how this gets fought out. But I, I think better. The one thing I tell you is there's a reason Texas um, has become more competitive in a lot of ways. Be, the same as, as Georgia with Stacey Abrams, uh, who put a lot of work into organizing that state. Uh, uh, Beto, his candidacy and the way he organized it uh, for the Senate uh, and the strength of the of the grassroots that he built across the state, that's one of the reasons I think Texas may be more competitive um, than we think. And he, and he he deserves credit for building that or being part of building it. And we'll see if it's enough in in 2022.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you started talking about Abbott because they would left that out completely. He has done things that have made him less popular. Now, there are a lot of Republican governors heading into a midterm in this situation where there's a not popular Democratic president. I'm thinking of Sam Brownback, where on paper, most the electorate wants to get rid of them uh, and they can can just run a base galvanizing campaign and they're good. That is the X factor that, unlike the traditional Democratic bind in Texas, which is you have to sit around raise money and you're going to raise less from big donors than republicans he he i wouldn't say autopilot but he's able to raise a lot of money and campaign a lot without changing up his stride Uh, i'm curious to see if he changes the campaign from what he did in 2018 and 2020 remember the 2018 campaign he did all that without a campaign pollster Um, there were questions like did he could did he leave votes out there that he might have gotten if he had one I mean, he has a new campaign manager, Nick Nick Prathod, who uh, did not work with him before. So I'll see what he does differently. But those are good points that he he at least has the ability to stay in the news and have people know when he criticizes Abbott, it gets noticed. And there's a lot to criticize Abbott for. So he's in a better position than a lot of Democrats who would have just had to introduce themselves.
0: Yeah. So I I just think this this one is I would not write him off yet. Uh, I do think it's it's an uphill fight, but I think. It's, it's one, he's a damn good candidate on the stump. I mean, I, people really do respond to, to Beto, particularly in Texas, I think. I mean, when you look at what what he was doing in that Senate race can. Um, but I also look, look, the other side of this still is National Democrats. Uh, to what extent does does Biden's approval ratings turn? Because as much as they're going to have an impact on the House races that we're going to be talking about uh, later on in redistricting they're It'd be tough, I think, in Texas to uh, to carry the state where Biden's approval rating is now. It's going to be underwater for sure, but not it can't be where it is uh, for folks like Beto to have a chance.
2: Guys, I wanted to ask you about midterm headwinds. Uh, We just mentioned Biden's approval rating, but obviously Beto lost by two points in 18. That was obviously during a great year for Democrats. There were a ton of competitive races that probably got a lot of people excited kind of the tables are turned with 2022 so i'm curious what you guys think about whether that's going to help or hurt him
1: this time you mentioned house races, and it was going to get into the into that factor that in 2018 and 2020 beta wasn't running for governor but he had his pack uh organizing you had seven to ten arguably competitive house seats you had campaigns collaborating, driving turnout up there. That was something that that Beto, I would say pioneered something he was good at. And just the design of the Republican gerrymanders that you won't have any. You're going to yeah. have maybe two seats that are competitive with a push. Uh, and none of the the stuff around the suburbs, you're going to be coming out and voting for statewide races, maybe your state legislature, but Republicans did a very good job of those voters who were in, you know, five-point Biden trending district are now in locked in safe Democratic or safe Republican seats um, in a midterm where people need a bunch of reasons to vote that they don't normally have. I do wonder how that affects things. I don't think it helps NATO.
0: Well, you know the thing though about that, Dave, and it's interesting, is is who will people be more on fire to vote for? Uh, I mean, but because again, Abbott has that same problem. I don't think there's going to be there a whole lot of, of Oh yeah, I got to go out and 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 keep Abbott. Um, and and Beto maybe Beto might be better at at, at energizing his support to come, to come out individually. I mean, in that state, when it when there's no other reason to come out anyway, mm-hmm. and there's nothing really out there. I mean, the Republicans don't have to fight for those seats. Maybe two, like you said. Is um, you know, are people going to be really excited about coming out for Abbott? I don't know. I think Beto may be able to energize more people than than, than Abbott can. I think Abbott's problems may, um, may just, I mean, again, you know, one of the other things that's been going on is I think this is, there's a really big anti-incumbent thing out there that we've seen. I mean, we, in a lot of ways, McAuliffe was, I think, a, a piece of that, uh, in Virginia. And, um, uh, we haven't. I, and I don't. And I think it's cross party lines. I don't think it matters who the who the incumbent is. They've been in trouble. People really aren't happy right now. And they're lashing out. Um, and, you know, Beto's not. He's a challenger. He's insurgent. Uh, Abbott may 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 feel some of that pain.
2: We'll 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 see. Guys, let's talk a little more nationally, obviously, looking as, as we get into 2022. Um, Dave, I know you've got a lot of it in, in the tra- trailer the the last couple episodes, but your your most recent one was talking about how passing Build Back Better, can it actually save Democrats next year? You quoted a bunch of people saying it it might, but it, it, guys, is it too little too late?
1: Well, uh, I'll start with that because it was about someone I wrote. What I was writing was... There are a bunch of democratic analyses of what went wrong in 2020. Most of it went right, but some things didn't go as well as wanted. There have been analyses since then of, of the ways Democrats are losing votes. The, the consensus, even though there's disagreement on how Democrats should talk, from you know the, the project from the Jacob, Jacobin, the Socialist Magazine, to Way to Win, to the D Triple C Zone report, is, is okay. Well, there's a big problem uh, for the party because of the of, of the cultural assignations uh that that we our voters share because of white voters without college degrees voting republican uh, and being alienated by some of our social issues what we need to do is run on a successful economic agenda that really delivered that people feel uh and so the, the quotes i got were about how uh about how that this would help uh nobody could really countenance what would happen if, if Bill Better did not pass in any form. I, I I've spent more time, I'm talking from Arizona right now with the Republican Governor's Association meeting. I spent more time not in Congress than in Congress. Uh, but at this point, you know, a, a passage of a shrunk down Bill Better bill would disappoint some people on the left. It would also complete the, the Biden agenda for the year with a, a ton of items left out, but it wouldn't deliver a lot of what Democrats ran on in 2022. And I actually was kicking myself for, parts of the article that we're talking about. Um, Because I don't like to predict what's going to happen, uh, but there is a sort of sing songiness to the way Democrats are talking, saying, if we get these things through, uh, we're going to have a story to tell and Republicans are going to be yammering about critical race theory and sexy books in school, or sexually explicit books in schools and um, transports and the rest of that stuff. Um, That's an argument. I'm not sure that it would work for them without other external economic factors Getting better. I mean, if if there is a, uh, you could have a slowdown in, in inflation. Something that's just what we had a year ago. I mean, let's say the patterns like nineteen forty seven, where there's people reentering uh, the the economy and prices go up and then they go down because inflation's happening around the world for, for these COVID reasons. Let's say that slows down. Do voters believe it in November twenty two? I'm not sure. Um, if, if, let's say that Bill Back passes with everything that's in it right now. Uh, There are popular elements of it that are not going to be in place in 2022. So Democrats can go to people and they will be able to say, your health care bills are lower, there's a child tax credit, they're going to have programs that they create, and they're going to try something that they um, have done before, effectively, not in a while, but uh, but they're going to do it with an economy that I think is hard to predict harder to predict right now. An economy with a lot more jobs, they're probably going to go into a midterm in a great unemployment situation. But remember, Republicans did that in 2018. Wonderful unemployment numbers didn't help them at all. Uh so, so that those are conclusions I got from talking to Democrats. Is they, they don't know what the party is going to do if Bill Back Better does not pass. It's but it's not obvious to me, even from talking to them, that Bill Back Better is going to solve. These problems. Not a reason to say throw up your hands, don't do anything. It's that the other parts of the economic picture just got worse. Um, they, they did not expect the backlash on immigration or Afghanistan at the start of the year. No one did. I'm talking to Republicans in March. No one says, "Well, what's really going to help us is that this this withdrawal from Afghanistan that both parties support is going to go badly." Uh, they, they, they just need they need in their in their mind an economic agenda that people feel uh, by the time they vote and and. TBD on well, whether I mean, they can get I, something look, like I think that the, out of this the,
0: bill. The important thing here is they have to pass a bill. I mean, the 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 downside to failing to yeah. pass it and just the ensuing coverage of failure of the Biden agenda, I mean, we will just uh, on top of Afghanistan and everything else, just like I, I think would just be really tough to come back from uh, in time for 2020. I mean, just the failure, just the failure stories, right? Uh, uh, admittedly. Uh, without any Republican help, but that's what McConnell wants to do anyway. so uh it would be a victory for McConnell and 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 uh uh and, and they would be out there hard about uh, you know, a guy who who said he could get the deal done and he can't even get a deal done in his own party, that kind of stuff. That's all gonna hit. Uh, so getting it passed with, with yes, there's it's gonna be smaller. and I also agree with you, you Dave, that it, it, very little of it is gonna be actually felt between now and november of 2022 so therefore it's i think this is all perception now and what i mean by that it's and i agree with you about it all being out of control of of democrats and biden at this point either the uh we're gonna have the scenario that you you outlined where uh uh where covid is you know cases are way down um inflate uh, employment is way up and inflation's starting to drop the economy's actually moving people are actually feeling like the country's moving in the right du- directions and, direction and democrats can point that it was the biden agenda that got us to this point without any republican help and in fact they would they would have voted they voted against all of it or would take it away um that's how you get to a potentially successful 2022 uh, for democrats and there are a lot of ifs in there a lot of things that are not in their control on the other hand if we're still if if we're still looking at these kind of inflation numbers and people are looking at for uh you know $4.85 gas regardless of the fact that it's global has not a whole lot to do with uh, uh any any of the uh, it's hard to point to a you know to the relief package or something creating this when it's when it's happening all over the world. But that still, that's perception will be that the Biden agenda failed, that the d- Democrats passed whatever it is they passed and it's not working. And that would be uh I-, I think a pretty tough uh 2022 that's already historically pointed in that direction. But I think at this point, critical that the that build back better passes and that they come to Come to agreement on it and then and then get out there uh, on a lot of other issues that I think are voting rights and some other things that I think they, they that they they need to do before
2: before the 2022 election. So one thing we've struggled with and we saw this as a party, we saw this earlier this year when several Republicans were essentially campaigning on the Recovery Act saying despite having voted against it we're already seeing some of that with with the the infrastructure bill how do how can democrats do a better job of kind of defining the battlefield and making sure that these republicans who did everything not not only voted against it but did everything they could do to kill it just to kill it because they didn't want to hand biden a win how do we stop them from going home and taking credit for it? No, they're going to go home and take credit for it.
0: <laughs> uh, we, like you said, we're already seeing that. Uh, I think, in the end, though, I still think it's what I said that: um, where are the un- the unemployment numbers? Where's inflation? Where's uh, the economy? Where's people feeling like they're getting their lives back over the next year? And uh, and. It, it it's got to start happening sooner rather than later people don't even if they start feeling things are getting better it usually takes like five or six months of that for it to actually start registering in polls that they're like you know they're feeling better we're on the right track um, and so I I do think sort of passing uh build back better is sort of like the that that's where Democrats are better off I think saying now, basically getting in front of that and saying we passed the Biden agenda and and this is the low this is the, the, the we're going to we're going to climb out of this now that because we've passed this thing and the Republicans in, in take the Republicans to task for for standing against it. Um, you know, I think it's just the better politics, uh, not it, it, And if they're wrong about that, then there's not a whole lot we can do. Uh, given the historic factors, and yeah, if trust, if you know, having lived through inflationary periods that were caused by U.S. policy or or sometimes by things that weren't under the president's control, the president can't do a whole lot to to control inflation anyway. So, is it tempor- There, you know, there've been two theories: temporary inflation, and Summers with you know the the, the skies falling, and uh, they've got to stop. But even he says that build back better and uh, and the infrastructure are good things that, that need to happen. So it's uh, it, it there. It, it really isn't something I can pr- I predict, but I think um, at this point Democrats have to bet that it's temporary, and that and make the case that what they've passed is going to be the thing that improves it. So that when it does improve. You know the Republican, because that's the other side of this. Wait, wait till you see if you think they're calling, they're taking credit for, for the infrastructure bill. Now, wait till whatever happens as, as the world starts turning and things start working and and uh, uh, people think we're going in the right direction. Um, watch how many Republicans will be talking about uh, about how it's Congress, congressional action, and their things that they fought for. They that got us here, they're all gonna be doing it. Uh, I'd be, if Democrats, I think you get in front of that now and and hope you're
2: right. I got one more follow-up on this, this is for you, Dave. We've been pretty doom and gloom. Joe, in the past, has been somewhat optimistic about Democrats' chances, but the reality is we're, we're swimming upstream next year. Dave, you've got your finger on the pulse in a lot of races, especially some that our listeners might not be as, as familiar with yet. Do you have any good news for Democrats right now as we go into 2022?
1: Uh, well, no. I, and I was in new jersey and i was in virginia i mean for less less time than most people but i was pleased to be one of the not that many national reporters who knew how to pronounce jack generelli's name uh before before the november 2nd um and i saw things play out and look democrats actually if there is a if they're if they're doing anything well uh they have in races where they spend money an ability to turn people out at a higher level than the last uh, the last set of elections. So all year, basically, when there've been special elections, even when they've lost, they've they've they've, they've, they've it, with one or two exceptions, they've they've lost. But similar to their 2020 margin in Virginia uh, and New Jersey, the Democrats got more votes this time than they got four years ago. So they have figured out how to turn out turn out voters. They have, despite all the issues uh, dogging the party with independence, despite. Uh, and I'd say despite some of the talk about the base being dissatisfied, the base is mo- being mobilized more than it's been in other recent elections. So they're not heading at this moment for a 2010 situation, which is it just it, 2014 was even worse of just Democrats is not bothering to vote in the midterm. Uh, now, that said, Republicans are turning out at a higher rate. So that that's mitigated a lot of what Democrats are doing. I'm saying they could be in worse shape. I'm not saying this is something that, that's going to save them. Uh, you ha- you do have Republicans making, I'd say, unforced errors that it's unclear voters are paying attention to, and it. it's the job of paid media to make people attend- pay attention, right? So lots of things went wrong for Democrats in Virginia. They went wrong in slow motion. Uh, the argument I, from McAuliffe folks up until really the final weeks was that the education issue just wasn't hurting them when it clearly was. Uh, and the, there's a lot bound to the education issue, but we know what we're talking about. Basically, McAuliffe just insisting that, Critical race theory is a fake issue. where Republicans have, I think, a very open playbook of uh, basically coming up with a list of these these new groups formed by Ian Pryor by Russ votes after 2020. These groups put out a list uh, for conservative activists. say, look for these books in your libraries or look for this word in your school in your in your schools um, uh, curricula or any documents. Uh, if you can find the word equity, you can find the word race. Find the word critical. Uh, you can then say, aha, you're lying, there's, there's critical race theory being done here. I bring that up because Democrats were not very good at responding it. That is the sort of issue that you can see Republicans going overboard on. And uh, there are Republicans who are very happy with how it played out in Virginia. But when you win, you know, the, the very cliched expression, victory has a thousand fathers. Uh, is it clear that the entire that that campaign in Virginia with the same focus on education and critical race theory, that that would have been as successful if inflation was 1%? I'm not, I'm not sure it's clear. So you could have. what I'm saying is that Democrats have ways in which Republicans might overestimate what they're doing uh, and make mistakes. And the final thing, which which came up in 2010, um, didn't come up for Democrats in 2018, is that Republicans are going to nominate, inevitably, some people who are less electable than people they could have nominated uh, in, in House races and some races for governor. Uh, I think it's pretty well told now. I mean, less of the trailer. I've just been mostly looking to people telling this. You know, Donald Trump keeps endorsing fairly far-right candidates uh, in Arizona, where I am right now, He is endorsed a, a former TV host who uh, believes the election was stolen, wants a national audit. Uh, it, the, yesterday, uh, as we're talking, so this week, claimed that uh, if she's governor, she's going to take money from the FBI that they're using to investigate parents and use it to investigate schools that violate the mask mandate ban. Okay, that's not a thing a governor can do. <laughs> and I, I'm not just trying to be snarky about it, but... Thing. that's an example of I think Democrats may benefit from Republicans having more. Um, I want to use avoid cliches here. Just you know more more right wing nominees, more right wing nominees who are not able to uh, to to play what what Glenn Youngkin inject Chitarelli did, and uh, in, in races where there's a lot more where there's a lot of money, there's a lot of spending, there's a lot of media attention. Uh, now there's less than there was in 2010, so I think some people are going to get through the gaps, but all I mentioned here that could be good for Democrats are things Republicans would need to screw up. I don't see anything necessarily good for Democrats, apart from their ability to turn out better than other elections they lost.
0: I I, I do think there are two things that will be different. And first of all, I do think that the Republicans look to be, because of some of these uh, unorthodox nominees, let's call them, um, that they run the risk of uh, like they did in the early Tea Party days, where the just the nominees just were lost them Senate seats that they should, uh, by all rights won, in Missouri and Delaware and in other other places. I, I see that is definitely happening right now. At least, I mean, it can change. And you, you know what it's like <laughs> from the Alabama Senate race. Yeah. it close up. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So I think when I'm looking at, I see that happening quite a bit. The other thing that I think is different. Is in both New Jersey and Virginia, um, you didn't have Donald Trump actively campaigning. In other words, it was possible f- for the candidates to both, you, you know, ba- basically keep Trump a- a at bay a little bit, but but appeal to his, his his base. I mean, I think the other thing is it's going to be very difficult for a lot of these Republicans, uh, that with with Donald Trump actively campaigning, actively holding rallies, saying things in those rallies that they're going to have to um, push back or embrace uh, in a way that uh, both the, you know Yunkin you know, didn't have to do New Jersey. It, it, it was you were able to like in this odd year, in this off year, uh, where he wasn't doing those rallies, not in their states. Uh, you know what he did the tele tele rally. Uh, But even that, I just think it's going to be there's going to be moments out there where a lot of these candidates are going to have to embrace him or 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 step away from something he says or does. And when you have that and the combination of some of the the uh, these, like I said, unorthodox candidacies, whatever you want to call them, um, that are out there where they're trying to out. Uh, you know, get further and further towards Trump to get his endorsement or to get his approval. I just think that there's a, a chance that we could see um, a, a lot more openings for Democrats than we think, even with redistricting. But we'll see.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing I'm kind of looking at as I as I pay more attention to the 2022 map. I and mean, I really was focused on 2021, which is really not quite over. <laughs> They're still counting in New York. Uh, there's a Mayor's race in in Columbia, South Carolina, yesterday that, that it was nonpartisan, but Republicans have gotten pretty good at finding nonpartisan race funding, funding a candidate who can win it and and taking you know doing a victory lap as they should. Um, but yeah, as I look at 2020, 2022, um Republicans have solved a lot of their their money problems for candidates, uh, and they but I, they they have a tendency to think that. Democratic voters and Republican voters in primaries the same. A story of this year was Democrats even in special elections where it was it was going to be hard to lose that seat no matter who the nominee was. Uh, they they the base of the party is is not voting for people who they see perceive as the most left wing candidate. Somebody who could lose who could lose the race uh, with the Republican side. And I think this all grows from a very it's it's logical if you if you're in this logical universe if you believe that Donald Trump won the the 2020 election by a landslide. It was stolen from him, uh, and you believe that the only reason you lose elections is not enough people are poll watching. Why would you think somebody who has you know tweeted a bunch of stuff about QAnon and PizzaGate is less electable than somebody with a nice head of hair and and a campaign from from a good consulting group? Uh, so they might make some of those blunders. And Trump's existence, as as Joe was talking about he he's already just intervened in races where he's 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 backed to weaker candidate than, than they probably could have gotten um it's just the the, the the turnout universe of a midterm does make it easier for somebody like that and this happened 2010 there are a bunch of uh candidates who uh were one and done they, they were clearly they're going to win a second term but but they benefited from from that turnout scenario uh but they left stuff on the table how much will how much will they leave out there i mean i i think um just spitballing. There. There's a swing seat in, in uh, so the Scranton area in Pennsylvania that has trended Republican. It'll be redrawn a little bit. Um, the Republican there went to the January 6th uh, riots. There are, uh, there's a Republican in Ohio who is the only candidate, and Trump has, has, has appeared with him for uh, what's now Marcy Kaptur's seat, which is gonna be drawn to be more of a swing seat, it was plus 19 Biden, I think it's gonna be 50-50 or so. Uh, another guy, at January 6th, on tweet. So there's gonna be some of that happens, That but now if they're in a scenario where Republicans are ahead in 20 seat Democratic seats, it doesn't matter, it'll take the House anyway. But, but the campaign could be very messy. And the thing that happened, you talking about 2010 to 2012, that, that doesn't really happen anymore, is candidates saying something idiotic and then everyone else around the country being asked about it, they're being kind of a dog pile that exp- uh, exposes things that voters don't like about the candidates. I'm not sure if that in this media environment, this will happen the same way. But So, so I, I, I don't know if you, you'd see the exact same clown show that, that happened in 2010. Uh, but you already have seen this. I mean, the people who are there are people uh, that Republicans are happier running. I mean, Mark Ronchetti running for governor of New Mexico, this former former uh, TV weatherman who did pretty good in a Senate race last time. He's the kind of guy they want. But there are going to be people who who jump in that they don't want. It'll be complicated. It'll be it'll be a waste of money for them that I don't think you're going to see from Democrats. Even uh, the groups that I mentioned, the voters are different primaries. Groups like Justice Democrats that exist to beat. Democrats in primaries with progressives are very targeted. They're only they're only focusing on safe seats where it's impossible for the Democrat to lose the general. I don't, don't think you're going to see many Democrats pull the in the other direction. You're not even really seeing it. The Democrats who've been a problem for the party on billback letter le- legislation. You have Kirsten Sinema, five pack, three, three, I should say, three packs uh, devoted to attacking her. She's up until 2024. I've not seen much. Uh, in terms of let let's let's get Josh uh, Jared Golden out of there, or let's get there is there is a Henry Cuellar primary challenge, but that again that's a seat where they think they can win anyway. So I think they will end up. What are, we're talking about primaries that are not over for until September next year. So four hundred some primaries later, I don't think Democrats will end up with as many problem candidates as Republicans.
0: Yeah, I don't see that at all. I th- I agree with you. I think uh, that uh, it's very. There there have been a lot of cycles where uh, Democrats can have that kind of crazy fight, Uh, but I've also been through, and I was part of them, but I've also been through cycles where uh, there's a pragmatism uh, and understanding that uh, sort of like, it's just a pulling back and not not trying to push the envelope. And I think that's, when you look at the results in these uh, elections, that's what's going on. Democrats are not out there trying to have a big... Progressive versus moderate fight in the party. Um, it, it will happen, like you said, uh, in one one or two places. Uh, but they they don't exist. On the other hand, there's plenty of those kind of fights that look like they're lining up on the Republican side for those nominations. And at least right now, it looks like the the hardliners or whatever you want to call them are the ones that that uh, uh, which is the same in any either party's primary when that takes place. The 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 more extremes actually can turn out more people, and uh, and the and the angry rhetoric rhetoric can get their voters out. And right now, that might benefit some candidates on the Republican side getting nominations that actually help Democrats win uh, in November. I think that there's like you said earlier, there's a whole lot of things that have to happen, um, and one of them is Republicans have to screw up and nominate the wrong people, uh, and the other things that may be out of uh, the, the administration's control is is uh, how temp- how temporary is this inflation, you know, is it because if it doesn't uh, uh, turn, then I, I it, you know, passing, we can pass a lot of things. I've been involved in those years. They're not good. They're not good, Pete, you know,
1: but we'll see. I'd say as an example, though, um, of, of what Democrats are facing and how it's a little bit less, you uh, the defeat of Nina Turner in Ohio really did leave a lot of progressive money on the table. Uh, there was a special election note in Florida that literally just ended this week. It t- went to a recount where the winner got won by five votes, a progressive candidate. But the candidate who was going for kind of the Justice Democrats' uh, uh, Nina Turner endorsement w- told me that just because she lost, uh, there's a lot less interest in pe- people in, fund- in funding candidates like him. And so it was a very strategic the democratic establishment such an amorphous term, but look, it was Hillary Clinton endorsed uh, Chantel Brown, James Clyburn, Democrats who really are tired of, of, of the, of the left's role, I'd say more in the media than anything tired of them being a focus of attention invested in that race as a way of uh, preventing more left-wing primary candidates from, from winning. Uh, and similar with the chamber of commerce did in 2014, when they they really tried hard and succeeded in, in even like saving Ted Cochran, who was, mentally at the at the end of his career um, couldn't even finish re-election even saving him just to send the message stop right. doing this and then, you know donald trump wins a few years later, so it didn't it didn't stick but i see democrats doing kind of the same thing and, and trying to prevent one problem from happening i do think nothing democrats can do can stop you know i was taking notes today on a story there's a angie craig who's a, a congresswoman from uh the minneapolis suburbs minneapolis st paul suburbs one in 2018, held on 2020, came out against the Minneapolis Police Reform ballot initiative. She attended a fundraiser with a group that, at one point, put out a statement saying that they we should explore defunding the police. And so Republicans attacked her as a defund the police candidate. So uh, I think that strategy on the the top 10,000 foot level is being is successful. It ignores that Republicans can really. Bring up these cultural war issues in right. any way they want. They don't need much of a hook. Yeah, no,
0: and Democrats are horrible at, at, at stepping right into them, uh, or not, you know, or rolling their eyes and saying, "Oh, crit- critical race theory—it's not taught in our schools." No one's going to believe that when it's ca- obviously cause for concern with parents who are who are hearing and picking up things and want want answers. So, uh, I, I, I agree with all that. The one thing I I don't I do think the I don't think that the, the Democratic, I know what you're saying about the Democratic establishment kind of trying to push some of this down, but I I really do think voters themselves out there, I mean, rank and file you know, voters who consider themselves Democrats are, well, first of all, have never been as progressive as the progressive wing thinks that they and the country are. And when given the choice, they've been moving, clearly moving to the, the the more middle whatever you want to call it, uh, centrist Democrats and and I think you know the the first proof point of that uh, is Biden being the not just the you know he, no one thought he was going to be the nominee. A lot of progressives were out there. I mean there are a lot of candidates out there. Uh, and then you go to to James in New York. I mean just a lot I think race after race, I think, it, it's the prospect of Trump um, and Trumpism in the Republican Party that has really raised the stakes with a lot of these voters to really look at it and like, what am I willing to take a chance on and, and, and who's the best candidate? I mean, something that doesn't usually happen, sort of gaming out who's the best candidate to win versus who's the one that that, that you know got, got the exact issue profile I want. I think there are a lot more candidates, a lot more people out there um, who who lo- are looking at this with how do we win? And I think, you know, th- that's why if if the establishment was able to put down a candidate, that's why, because the voters are ready for that. They don't want it. They are. They don't want it right now, either. Um, I think there's a whole lot of, hey, let's fight over all that stuff two years, uh, you know, Two years from now, maybe four years from now, but right now, no way. We gotta, we have to somehow pull out a win in 2022, and so I think you're seeing a lot more oars
2: in the water paddling in that direction. Whether we can pull it off or not, it's a different uh, because of all the things you've raised, guys. That's just about all the time we have, Dave. I can't let you go without asking you about some prog rock. Sure, we're we're a big Genesis house. I know you will ride or die with King Crimson and. Oh, King Crimson! That- <laughs> I'm a massive King Crimson fan.
1: Oh, great. No, I that's one of my big regrets of the year is I, I can't complain because I was I was on vacation in Hawaii, but I missed the, I missed their, their their tour this like this this year. And I, I try not to miss them. They're amazing. They've always been good live. They They have the lineup now with three drummers. Uh, and a, a band that can kind of work through all their material and 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 write new stuff. So, it, yes, I'm sorry, <laughs> I can talk about Crimson for an hour. But what was the question? I uh, wanted
2: your take on the on the state of prog rock right now. Anything anything good we should check out that's new?
1: Oh yeah, so I uh, I can't say there's much new beyond beyond progressive metal. I mean, I kind of agree with some people I talked to for my book. that progressive metal was the last innovation in the in the genre maybe the last new rock in a genre now there, there's some subgenres since then um so the all progressive metal math rock still still hot not a lot of of new stuff i mean I, my book wrapped up kind of in the in the 20 in the 2010s uh for that reason that people were saying it, it, it is more of a nostalgia play now uh, so the the king the current version of king crimson i think is, is incredible uh, and the. The the rest of the music that's coming out the the Yes album that came out with it now this is a band that has lost uh, its only original member Chris Squire also not bad but I haven't heard much that is a brand new prog- progressive music apart from the from the metal stuff and your your know, your your Mastodons your Tools things like that uh, I wish I had a better answer the, during the pandemic I got very into all all the music I had missed because I thought when else am I going <laughs> to catch up on this sure so I put put prog down for we for months to. Listen to a lot of jazz, at, which is even there's even less new jazz to recommend, unfortunately. Uh, but no, okay, anything new? If you if you want to try it out, like go to Spotify. King Crimson joined Spotify after holding off for a long time, and the the live material they've been putting out since they reunited in 2013, uh, had, or the new version of the band, I should say, has been has been incredible. I mean, I think it's as good as they've ever been.
0: I am a huge King Crimson fan. Just in case people
1: needed to know that. No, it's it's good to shout it to the mountain. Yeah.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, I just like it's So uh, I, I never thought in a zillion years that I'd be on the uh, on my podcast talking about uh, how I was a King, King Crimson fan. But I am. Thanks, Dave, for coming on today. And thanks for listening to that trippy show. You can find Dave's work at The Washington Post and find him on Twitter at Dave Weigel, W-E-I-G-E-L. Also, if you're a prog rock fan, check out Dave's book. The show that never ends. <laughs> we'll include links to the, in the show notes to that. Don't forget, please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or whatever you or wherever you listen. And please do share it with a friend. You can always send us a question to that trippy show at gmail.com or leave us a question in a review on iTunes. And I and Alex keeps promising a, a listener question for the next we'll do do it in the next episode. See you next time. Thanks, Dave, for coming on.
1: Awesome. No, thanks. I'm glad we could make it work. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had
0: unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three, and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.